for our reading of God's Word this morning. We'll be turning in the Old Testament to Exodus, the 16th chapter, where I'd like to read the first 12 verses. At Exodus 16, hear now God's Word. And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the of Israel came unto the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would that we had died by the hand of Jehovah in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots, when we did eat bread to the full. For you have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then said Jehovah unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall come to pass on the sixth day that they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. And Moses and Aaron said unto all the children of Israel, At evening then you shall know that Jehovah hath brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning then you shall see the glory of Jehovah, for that he heareth your murmurings against Jehovah. And what are we that ye murmur against us? And Moses said, This shall be when Jehovah shall give you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full. For that Jehovah heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against Jehovah. And Moses said unto Aaron, Say unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before Jehovah, for he hath heard your murmurings. And it came to pass, as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of Jehovah appeared in the cloud. And Jehovah spake unto Moses, saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. Speak unto them, saying, At evening ye shall eat meat, and in the morning ye shall be filled with bread. And ye shall know that I am Jehovah your God. And our scripture reading in the New Testament is found in Colossians, the third chapter, verses 15 to 17. Colossians 3:15 Hear again God's word And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to the which also you were called in one body and be ye thankful Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another with psalms hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in your hearts unto God And whatsoever you do in word or in deed Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And thus far the reading of God's word. I don't know if this commercial is still on TV, but for a number of years I've noticed during the holiday seasons, as we call them, um, a particular commercial for a watch where the line goes something like, and I think it's a woman that's speaking, oh, it's very nice, but I was hoping for a long gene. 
That is, what you gave me, of course, is, is good. I had my hopes set a bit higher. Um, that commercial always grated on me. And, and my guess is whoever on Madison Avenue dreamed up this particular ad campaign didn't really understand human nature because I'll bet it grates on you too. This attitude of gratitude that is really just a veiled form of murmuring, just a way of saying, well, it's okay, but it sure could have been better. The gratitude which is qualified by wishing things were much better. It amounts to a thanks that says, yes, but. Yes, I'm happy with this, but not as much as I might have been. Yes, thank you, but then again, not so much. Thank you. In our sinful self-centeredness, it's difficult to achieve an attitude of thanksgiving which is not qualified and not mitigated by cares. It's difficult to be able to say thank you and to really mean it and leave it at that, to have a thank you that is free of cares, not burdened by reservations and qualifications. You know, she has a warm house and she has food to feed her children. But the focus of her thoughts today is on the grouchy unpleasantness of her monthly cramps. He has a steady job and a healthy body, but today his mind's distracted by the costly and unexpected car repair. The children are the joy of their lives, bringing them happiness and satisfaction. But it is irksome that they don't have a house which is a bit nicer and larger for them to live in. He's just enjoyed a promotion at work, but these darn Santa Ana winds are kicking up his hay fever. She's returned to school and she's excelled at her work, but because her father died two years ago, he wasn't there to celebrate her graduation with her. They were all almost seriously hurt in a terrible automobile accident, but spared any injury. And yet tonight they're complaining that they cannot afford a family vacation trip this year. His brother was recently treated for cancer and it went into remission. But he's depressed over his sister who lost her temper at work and was fired. She's thoroughly enjoyed the beauty which God makes possible in a work of art. But her thoughts are pushing ahead to why she couldn't have the talent they secured the loan to remodel their home, and they're really enjoying it now. But it still bothers them that he has to work overtime so much. You see what I'm getting at? Life is full of happiness. But it also has things which make us unhappy. And that makes Thanksgiving an awkward attempt, I think, for most of us to avoid hypocrisy. Because we are happy about so many things that God has given us. And yet, most of our thoughts go to those things which haven't been realized yet in our lives. Those things that are not right. Those things that leave us unhappy or unfulfilled or unsatisfied. And so we say thank you. And though we may not be as crass as the watch commercial, I think we still have that attitude of thank you God, but I was kind of hoping for something a little better. We're often like that grating commercial, I think, 
I'm really grateful, God, for this, and I'm really grateful for that, but I really wish things could have been a little bit better for me. Our Thanksgiving has a cloud of unhappiness looming over it. We genuinely thank God, I believe, but then there are all those other cares in life to consider as well. And so this morning, I'd like to address you and exhort you on the subject of carefree Thanksgiving. The way to thank God without that grating, but I wish it had been better attitude. In Exodus, the 16th chapter, I think we get some direction from God on this matter. And we should here consider the example of the Israelites as they were brought into the wilderness by God through his mercy, by his saving grace, and there we find them murmuring. But the first thing you have to remember about Exodus 16 and this story about the murmuring of the children of Israel is that it kind of blends in with Exodus 15 and Exodus 17, before and after. In fact, it blends in with Exodus 14 as well. In fact, it blends in with 40 years of what these people were like because the murmuring of the children of Israel was characteristic of them. In fact, the psalmist reflects on this portion of the wilderness wandering the Israelites in Psalm 78. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 78, and let me begin the reading at verse 23. We read, Yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven. And he rained down manna upon them to eat, and gave them meat heaven. Man did eat the bread of the mighty, and sent them food to the full. He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens, and by his power he guided the south wind. He rained meat also upon them as the dust, and winged birds as the sand of the seas. And he let it fall in the midst of their camp, round about their habitations. So they did eat, and were well filled, and he gave them their own desire. They were not estranged from that which they desired. Their food was yet in their mouths when the anger of God went up against them and slew the fattest of them and smote down the young men of Israel. For all this day they sinned still and believed not in his wondrous works. Therefore their days did he consume in vanity and their years in terror. When he slew them, then they inquired after him, and they returned and sought God earnestly. And they remembered that God was their rock, and the Most High God their Redeemer. But they flattered him with their mouth, and lied unto him with their tongue, for their heart was not right with him. Neither were they faithful in his covenant. But he, being merciful, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yes, many a time turned he his anger away, and did not stir up all his wrath. And he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes away and comes not again. How often did they rebel against him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert. And they turned again and tempted God and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not his hand, nor the day when he redeemed them from the adversary. The psalmist says, God in his mighty covenant mercy, brought Israel out of Egypt, redeemed them from the adversary, protected them, provided for them, and when food was in their very mouths, his wrath rose up against them because they murmured. These were people who did not steadfastly trust God. They did not thank God from the heart. They said it with their lips. 
But as the psalm says, their heart was not with him. Their heart was not steadfast. They did not really trust God. And that's why when they came to the Red Sea, they began to murmur against Moses and said, it's an ambush. Moses, you brought us out here to die. Here comes Pharaoh with his chariots and his soldiers, and they're going to slaughter us here at the sea. We have nowhere to go. And God miraculously opened the Red Sea so they would walk through on dry ground. And not only that, when they got to the other side and Pharaoh and his army pursued them through the sea, God brought the Red Sea upon them and destroyed the adversary. Now, if you were standing on the other side of the Red Sea on that particular day and had seen this great, marvelous work of God, the miracle that he worked in nature and the miracle of his grace in saving his people, wouldn't you think reasonably you'd say, well, if God can do that, he can do anything. And if God will do that, he will do anything. God can be trusted. And yet, they went on and they came to a place where they expected to find water to drink and it was brackish. It was bitter water, undrinkable. And instead of saying, well, God hasn't brought us out here to die. There's a reason for this. And trusting him and praying to them, they rather attacked Moses again and murmured against the God who had redeemed them. And so God turned the water sweet miraculously for them. And now we come to Exodus, the 16th chapter, and we find that they are now one month away from their leaving of Egypt. They brought a month's supply of food with them, and on this day, they've run out of food. What would you expect them to do? Well, the first thing they should have done, of course, is say, thank you, God. You have graciously redeemed us. You have shown your faithfulness in the past. You are a God who keeps his promises. And in some way, you're going to make provision for us. And actually, we're excited to see how you're going to do that. <laughs> uh, you know that you don't respond that way, and you probably realize they didn't respond that way. In fact, they murmured against God again, against Moses, but that was as good as against God, as Moses tells them. They murmured against God and they said, what would you do, Moses? Bring us out here to die of hunger in the wilderness? You brought us out in the desert where we're going to die. And so one month after they were redeemed from the oppressive slavery of Egypt, they began to long to go back and be slaves. In fact, in their angry exaggeration, being faced with a different kind of hardship in their lives, they don't remember the cruelty of their Egyptian slavery that made them cry out to God. And according to the book of Exodus, God remembered his covenant with Abraham and delivered his people. They now cry out and idealize their life in Egypt. They lust after the meat cauldron, as the Hebrew puts it, the meat pots, which is, of course, a terrible exaggeration because as slaves they didn't get much meat to eat at all, but what little they had they now exaggerate. And they remember the bread that they had. Of course, the bread was oppressive. It was very difficult for them to have bread. They remember the, uh, uh, the melons and the garlics, and, and they wish they could go back to Egypt. And they don't want to be hungry in the desert. Because you see, in the desert, none of those good things are available. Sure, we're thankful, God, you delivered us. Pharaoh and his army are now dead. We're no longer making bricks without straw. We're now 
free people and going to a land that flows with milk and honey and you're going to make provision and give every family a plot there. Oh, we're thankful, God, but you know, we really were wishing for better. We really wish we had something nicer to eat out here in the desert, God. I guess you don't really love us, God, and you put Moses in this place to make us starve to death. Matthew Henry puts very well, discontent magnifies what is past and vilifies what is present without regard for truth or reason. None talk more absurdly than murmurers. Remember that the next time you start saying, oh God, I wish it weren't this way in my life, or murmuring about your circumstances, remember how absurd murmurers can be. They're unreasonable, and they're quick to impute evil motives to Moses. When Moses became their deliverer, would you remember that he had a nice pastoral life of ease? Would you remember that even before that, he had all the pleasures of Pharaoh's house? And Moses took upon himself at the call of God the position of deliverer. And yet they come and read his motives in the worst possible light and make him out to be evil wanting to destroy them. They think God wants to destroy them. Well, listen, if God wanted to destroy them, he had his opportunity, didn't he? At the Red Sea, he could have said, see, there you have it. I never loved you. I was lying to you. My word wasn't reliable. I fooled you. Now you'll die. I'll show you. But he didn't. He brought them out in a way which no one could have naturally predicted. Pharaoh said he would not let the people go, but God brought his people out. And God delivered his people at the Red Sea, and God delivered them in the desert. And again, they should have realized that God's word was faithful, but instead they murmur and complain. And what do you expect God to do now to these miserable wretches of a people? to be named after his own name. What are the people of Jehovah, the people of the covenant, to experience now that they've shown their wicked hearts, their, oh yes, we're thankful, but attitude? Well, you would expect God to rain brimstone from heaven, I think. And yet what God says is, Moses, I'll send bread from heaven. Does the graciousness of God ever overwhelm you as you read it in the scripture? It's just incredible, isn't it? That God says, though they deserve to die, though they have dared to speak against me and challenge my own word and to deny the wondrous works that I've done for them, yet I will send them bread. In fact, he'll send them daily bread from heaven. According to verse 4 of our text, this bread, as you know, comes to be called manna, it's a very unusual kind of food, um, not exactly what the people had expected, kind of uh, something white and, and flaky, but it filled their stomachs to the full, and the text tells us that it tasted like a honeyed cracker. It was something good for them. Um, very bizarre. If you gathered it up and didn't eat it in one day, worms infested it, except on the Sabbath. It was a miraculous kind of bread. God was saying, this is not the sort of thing you expect all the time. You don't find this stuff in the desert all the time. And every other day of the week, the worms will infest it if you don't eat it. But on the Sabbath, it will last two days by my miraculous provision. 
God gives them daily bread. And I think very likely there's an allusion to that when Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Our day, our, our bread for the day. Now what was the point that God was showing them in giving them daily bread and manna? They could take enough to eat that day, but they couldn't take enough for two, except on the Sabbath. And the reason they couldn't is because God said, I will fill your stomach today, and you must trust me for tomorrow. They also asked for meat, and the text tells us, and Numbers expands further on it, that God sent quail, which are unheard of in the desert, at this particular point, and uh, they, f they get their fill every night of meat, and every morning they have their fill of bread, the manna that comes to them. And why does God do this? Why does God give them a reason for thanksgiving? Though they are a wretched people, they are a murmuring people, there are people who say, thank you, God, but he does it to give them a token that he is their Savior. Verse 6 says, And Moses and Aaron said unto all the children of Israel, At evening, then you shall know that Jehovah has brought you out of the land of Egypt. God will prove to you that he is the one who has saved you. He will give you a token of his redemption so that in this daily provision of food, be it meat in the evening or bread in the morning, you will know that God keeps covenant with his people, that God has redeemed you, that God's word is true. In Psalm 105, verses 40 to 42, the psalmist tells us that this is the meaning of this experience of the Israelites in the desert. Psalm 105, at the 40th verse. They asked, and he brought quails, and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. He opened the rock, and waters gushed out. They ran in the dry places like a river. For he remembered his holy word, and Abraham his servant. Why did God give quail? Why did he give bread from heaven? Because he remembered his covenant. He remembered what he had promised Abraham and his holy word he would not deny. And so as the text tells us, they would see a token of God's promise, a token that he was the redeemer of his people and that he would not let them go. In verse 7, of our text, we see that these murmuring Israelites needed to see the glory of God in his saving acts for them. And in the morning, then you shall see the glory of Jehovah, the covenant name of God. You shall see the glory of Jehovah, for he hears your murmurings. Here's a God who hears people saying, oh, we wish it were better. And God says, I'll meet your needs. I'll give you something to be thankful for that you'll remember that I am your God, and I keep covenant, and I provide your daily bread. Trust me for tomorrow. If we read the Bible from cover to cover, we'll recognize, of course, that this text was one of the ways in which God was teaching his people about the coming Redeemer, Jesus Christ. How that he had made a promise of redemption which was not actually realized even in the Exodus. Even in leaving Egypt, even in crossing Jordan River into the Promised Land, even in giving a land flowing with milk and honey, they did not enjoy the redemption, the full redemption, the actual salvation which God had in mind. That all of those experiences were but a part 
of the whole that was coming, but a shadow of the reality that was yet to come. And so in John, the sixth chapter, if you'll turn in your Bibles, you'll notice these words of Jesus. John 6, 32. Jesus therefore said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, It was not Moses that gave you the bread out of heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life unto the world. They said therefore unto him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall not hunger, and he that believes on me shall never thirst. Jump down to verse 48. <clears throat> I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down out of heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. Yes, and the bread which I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. The life of the Israelites was challenged in the wilderness. They thought they would starve to death, and God gave them manna from heaven, a miraculous provision. But he was only pointing ahead to the fact that he would send his son for the life of the world, and so doing. For you see, as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20, all of the promises of God are in Christ confirmed. All the promises made by God point to Jesus. And they're only good to us because of what Jesus has done for us. I hope this text calls you to a faithful Thanksgiving, Ben. A Thanksgiving that's full of faith. Not all giving of thanks is an expression of thanks to God. It's not an expression of faith in God. Not an exercise in trusting the living and true God of scriptures. For you know, atheists celebrate Thanksgiving. They even take time to mention things for which they're thankful. However, atheists have no one to whom they are thankful for the favorable circumstances of their lives. They do not see these circumstances as the blessing of their creator, who is being merciful toward them in their unbelief and in their rebellion against him. And they can have no confidence in the continuation of those favorable circumstances in their lives. Atheist thanksgiving is really more a simple expression of contingent momentary happiness. I'm happy right now for this. I'm happy right now for that. There's no giving of thanks because their happiness is undirected. It's given in a vacuum. There's no reason for it. No reason for it to continue. And there are people who believe in fate, people who believe in luck, or some vague cosmic force for good. And they celebrate Thanksgiving, and like the atheists, they too are happy with their favorable circumstances. But they do not attribute those favorable circumstances to the grace and provision of the living and true God. They simply offer a collective sigh of relief that the impersonal forces of the universe have worked out nicely for them, all by chance. And followers of false religions can also celebrate Thanksgiving, but their thanks is directed to false gods, to figments of their imagination. They don't know the true source of all blessedness. They don't know the praise of Jehovah's glorious name. They take his praise and they give it to another, to another who doesn't even exist. 
See, it's only Christians who are in a position to offer faithful thanksgiving, thanksgiving which is full of true faith in Jehovah. However, I'm afraid today that even Christians fall short of offering thanksgiving which evidences faith. And there are three ways in which Christians do that. In the first place, Christians sometimes silently and subtly are led astray by unspoken thoughts of compensation when they thank God. I'm afraid it's hard to break free of that. God's blessings are not clearly appreciated as the pure expression of unmerited favor. We're kind of saying, thanks God, but I was a good boy this year. Or I tried to do what you wanted to do, me to do. And so it's kind of understandable that things worked out this way, but thanks anyway. See, our faith is lacking. Faith is lacking in that kind of thanks because it doesn't see that it's unmerited favor that we enjoy. Secondly, Christians fall short of faithful thanksgiving when they're theologically misled and they don't affirm the all-controlling sovereignty of God, in which case they don't really tie all their favorable circumstances directly to his providential care, that he cares for every hair of their head and that's why they have the things they do. And thus true faith is lacking in that kind of things. But it's the third category that I'm most concerned with this morning. I'm afraid sometimes Christians fail to have faithful thanksgiving because they don't see that God's blessings are all rooted in his covenant promises. They are made good in the redemption that is secured by our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me put it to you very simply. Some Christians do not connect God's favor to his enduring promise of love. They're like the Israelites in the wilderness. Whatever favor they had was a momentary passing thing. They didn't see that it was all tied to the covenant made with Abraham. It was all tied to the promise made through Moses that God would not break his word to his people. And so we too don't recognize that our blessings are more than simply momentary points of happiness. They're rather expressions of God's faithfulness to his word and a faithfulness that we know has been confirmed by the saving work of Jesus Christ. When God gives you daily bread, when God gives you a bed to sleep in and a warm home and clothes to wear and a family to give you happiness, when God blesses your body and brings health, when God prospers you at work, when God gives any of these blessings, do you realize that these are all tied to his covenant? These are all tied to his promise. These are all tied to the mercy he shows us in Jesus Christ as his people. And if we have a faithful thanksgiving, then we can have a carefree thanksgiving. We won't be like the Israelites murmuring that things were not good enough. Since God is true to his word and since God has evidenced his faithfulness to us in blessing our lives, then we can have full faith that he's in control of all things. And by his mercy, we'll never let anything stand in the way of his love for us, nor let any circumstance prove to be less than for our good. For we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And so the thanksgiving, which is full of faith in the sovereign, merciful, and covenant-keeping God, should be a thanksgiving which is unmitigated 
by the unhappy circumstances of life and is thus free of care. Not a thanksgiving that says, yes, God, I'm thankful, but. The Christian who is full of faith responds positively from the heart to the exhortation of Peter. Cast all your care on him, for he cares for you. Such a believer is relieved of anxiety, relieved of cares, relieved of sorrows. He or she sees the occasions for thanksgiving as tokens that our cares are unnecessary, given faith in God's redemptive word. That's what Israel forgot, God's redemptive work. They forgot God's covenant. And so he gave them a token and pointed to his son. And God says to us, do you remember? You have bread on this table every Lord's Day. Does that bread remind you of Jesus? And if you're reminded of Jesus, do you remember that God keeps his word? And if he has gone that far to send his son to the cross, will he let you down in any circumstance of your life? Of course not. So you see, the Christian's faithful thanksgiving precludes murmuring, precludes an attitude of, yes, I'm glad about this, but things could be better. Faithful thanksgiving is not tainted by such reservations, not tainted by such qualifications. It's free from the cares that those things represent. It's thanksgiving which overwhelms our negativity and overwhelms our fretting and overwhelms our grasping and overwhelms our sorrows. Thanksgiving which arises from faith in God and confidence in his promises is unsullied by the things which are not yet right. Because you see, that kind of thanksgiving is absorbed in God's gracious display of those things which are. Our thanksgiving, as we see in the exhortation of Paul in Colossians 3, should show that we're really at peace. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were called in one body, and be ye thankful. Thankfulness is an expression of a peaceful heart. A heart that doesn't say, oh, but God, there should be more. And whatever you do, Paul says, do it giving thanks to God the Father through him. The thanks you give must be given through Christ in whom all the promises of God are good. This thanks is not fettered by cares. It's not distracted by cares. And thus it can be offered no matter what we may be called upon to do, what we may have to undergo in this life. Whatever you do, do it giving thanks with peace in your heart through Christ. Joseph Addison is a writer and a, a hymn writer who died in the year 1719, and he's written two hymns which appear in our Trinity hymnal. Joseph Addison understood the wonder and the carefreeness which characterizes true and faithful Christian thanksgiving before God. He wrote, When all thy mercies, O my God, my rising soul surveys, transported with the view, I'm lost in wonder, love, and praise. Through all eternity to thee, a joyful song I'll raise, for all eternity's too short to utter all I praise. He said, when I think about that, the fact that eternity won't be long enough to have a Thanksgiving Day celebration, then I'm lost in wonder, love, and praise. And so you too today. Unlike the Israelites who murmured in the wilderness and forgot the promises of God, you get lost 
in thankful praise which exceeds the bounds of all eternity. And then you'll be free of the cares which cloud the faithless eye. Let's pray. O oh God, were the whole realm of nature ours, that would yet be a present far too small to return to you for the grace and love and salvation that we enjoy in Christ our Savior. You have given us so many things. Please forgive us for having hearts that dwell on those things which are not yet, for those things which are not yet in our possession, for those things which are not yet right in our lives, for those things which are not yet there to satisfy. Forgive us for having qualifications and reservations and mitigations upon our thanks. And give us carefree hearts today, hearts that are able to say, give us this day our daily bread and trust you for tomorrow. Hearts which genuinely are grateful for what we have without being concerned with what we don't have. God, grant us such carefree hearts that we might enjoy the life of faith and that you might receive the glory which is due to your name. For we do offer our thanks this Thanksgiving Day in the name of Jesus Christ who has brought us peace. Amen.